Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, those of you that are watching online with us as well. We're so thankful that you're here. Did you, did you guys have a good week? So this past week, was it a good week for you? All right, everybody smile. Not just kidding. For the camera. So what they, what they try to do is they try to, Glenn's told me they try to get pictures of me at the beginning of the message because I guess during the message, and you guys would know this, veins start popping out of my throat and I get a little more intense. So I have to just kind of pretend and be very calm in my introduction so that they get good pictures uh, for different social media stuff. But uh, I'm glad that you had a good week. We had a good week at our house. Uh, We actually had one minor scare, though, at the Fincham home this week. And to give you a little context for our minor scare, Lori and I are both 46 years old. So we're 46 years old. So this is going to give you a little context. My wife goes to the store this week and comes home with a few things in a bag, and one of those things in the bag is something that when you're a 46-year-old, you don't want to see your wife have in the bag, a pregnancy test. Yeah, you can imagine. So I I see this come uh, home with my wife, and I wonder, like, who's this for? And it's obviously for her. And so uh, I kind of patiently waited for the test to be taken, and Really excited to tell you that the only infants at our house are going to be puppies this summer and this over the next few months. Uh, but I had, I had a minor scare. And in the midst of this kind of conversation around this, you're like, I don't know you, Chris. I already know too much information about you. Uh, but in the midst of this minor scare, my nine-year-old, Kate, asked a, a fairly awkward question. And no, I'm not going to tell you what the question is. But she, in the, in the midst of this conversation, she asked a very awkward question that honestly, you don't want to have the conversation with your nine-year-old. You don't want to answer that question for your nine-year-old daughter. And, and, and so in the midst of that conversation, and, and you've done this, you've experienced this, someone in your family ask a question, and maybe it, has, maybe it has nothing to do with pregnancy or anything like that, but they, they ask a question that honestly, you don't want to talk about, you don't want to answer it, you want to change the subject, it's super awkward for you, and so you either pretend you didn't hear it, or you kind of give a little token answer and then ask, hey, does everybody want to go get ice cream to, to change the subject? But, but you do whatever you have to do to kind of change the subject, which is similar to what I do. We've actually eaten ice cream five times this week uh, at night at our house, several, several times. But, but you know that. You, you've done that. And, and if you have kids, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be your kids. Man, we've all experienced that where someone's asked a question that was just awkward. And they might not have known that it was awkward when they asked it. 
but they ask a question that you didn't want to answer, you, you weren't prepared to answer, you, you wanted to kind of change the subject, and so you, you did whatever you do to kind of get off that subject. And, and, and it's super awkward in the moment, it makes for funny memories later on in your life, but, but we've all experienced that. And for some of you, and this is kind of what the sad thing is, you've experienced that at church, and here's what I mean. You've asked a legitimate question, a real question that you had, something about faith, about God, about religion, and because it was a question that you probably didn't know that people didn't really want to answer or that was an awkward question to them, you asked the question and either somebody gave you this like very surface level answer and hoped you didn't ask for a second, kind of a second question, or they changed the subject and they made you feel really awkward so that you never asked that question or anything like it again. And, and some of you have experienced that. And for some of you, it might be, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, it might be why you kind of for a season walked away from the church. And over these past few weeks, we have sought to lean in, not to every one of those questions, but we've sought to, to kind of lean in to some of those hard questions that, that we have maybe been afraid to ask, or when we have asked them about faith, we didn't get an answer, and we maybe even were made to feel like we should never ask that again. We've, we've tried to lean into those over these past couple weeks. And today I want to talk about a question that whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, whether you're investigating faith, whether you're not, every single one of us has asked ourselves this question. We've dealt with this question. Some of you may be dealing with this question right now, and the question is simply this. Why should I forgive? Like I said, some of you, this, you might be grappling with this exact question right now. This question of why should I forgive and why this is such a personal question is because, and you know this, man, forgiveness is a really sensitive issue because those of us, those, of, those people that we love dearly have been hurt. We have been hurt. Uh, we have been cheated. We have been done wrong. We have been, a, a lot of things have happened to us in our past. We've been betrayed. We've been lied to. And in some cases, it's happened at the hands of people that said they were followers of Jesus. And so forgiveness, it's a, it's a super sensitive issue because it's so close to where we're all at because we've all dealt with it deeply. Doesn't matter who you are, you've, you've dealt with being hurt, being betrayed, being lied to, and having to grapple with what to do. And, and here's the thing, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, every single one of us know that not forgiving someone is not good for us. Like we know that intuitively. We know that bitterness and not forgiving people, we know that doesn't help us. We, we know all of that, but at the end of the day, forgiveness is really hard. It's really hard. And in Matthew, Jesus, and he talks a lot about it throughout his time on earth and, and in the things that were written about him, but in Matthew, Jesus addresses the subject of forgiveness in the midst of a, a sermon that, whether you grew up in church or not, you've heard of called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses several different things. And there's a section of the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about prayer. And as he's talking about prayer, he, he talks about forgiveness and the importance of it. And he kind of unpacks it for us. And so if you have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen or you can find it in the app. Look at Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus, in the midst of this very well-known sermon, begins a conversation about prayer where he ties forgiveness in. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray. Think, oh wow, they, they love to pray. That's a good thing. They must really like talking to God. But, but then he goes on, he says, they, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. See, see, for these people, these people that love to pray who are known to us in Matthew as hypocrites, they love to pray not because they love talking to God, but they love performing in front of other people. And so they see their prayer as a performance. They, they, they see their prayer not as an intimate relationship with God, but a performance to hope that you are impressed with them. And so Jesus is, and these, these people he's talking to, they've seen this. They've, they've seen people, very proud religious people, just stop literally on the corner and start praying these big prayers and loud and big words. And it's all about not, I really want to talk to God, it's I want you to be impressed with how I'm trying to talk to God. And he says this, truly I tell you, they have their reward. Basically, Jesus is saying, you know what? I, I hope that a lot of people are impressed because that's it. That's their reward on this thing. He goes on and he says this, he says in verse six, but when you pray, go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so Jesus says, hey, you've, you've seen people pray like this, and they, it's basically a show. But when you pray, he's assuming that they talk to God. When you talk to God, he's, he's saying, man, remember that you're talking to God. He, he's not prohibiting people from praying in public, but what he's doing is saying, hey, remember this is a conversation between you and God. And so, man, go, go be by yourself and talk to God. If you're praying in public, remember you're talking to God. And so he, he, he talks to them about, man, how their prayer should be different than what they see religious leaders doing. And then he goes on. When you pray, don't babble. Like the Gentiles, since they imagine they will be heard for their many words, the, the Gentiles, and if you've ever, I remember as a little kid, you, you, if you grew up in a home where you, know, you, got, you prayed before you ate, you remember once in a while as a little kid, like you just begging God that certain people wouldn't pray when you were really hungry. And it was usually like Thanksgiving or Christmas with the special prayers where, you know, you had to say more than thank, thank you for the food. And, and, and I mean, where people would, and, and nothing against them, but man, it was like, dude, just give me a call when you're halfway through this prayer and I'll come back because it's, it's going to be a five, seven minute prayer and, and the food's getting cold. Well, well, 
in this case, people were doing that not because they wanted to talk to God, but they thought, you know what? If I say things and I make up big words and I say things over and over and over, maybe if I remind God, because he's not that smart, if I say something five times with a really big words, then maybe he'll hear me better. And so, man, they're just, it's, it's a train wreck, their prayer life. And he says, don't, don't be like these people. He says, verse 8, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Like, like you don't have to tell God 37 times in a row the same thing. And, and you don't have to make up big words that you don't really understand to kind of impress God so that he kind of leans in more on, when you pray. He says, that's what religious leaders are doing. That's what the show-offs are doing. That's, that's not how you pray. That's not what this is about. And then in verse 9, he, he begins to give them a, a pattern, which you would hear and you would know as the Lord's Prayer. He says, hey, this is how people pray, and this is how you shouldn't pray, but, but let me give you a pattern and he wasn't giving them like a, a script to memorize and like, this is what you have to say to me. He was kind of giving them a pattern on how to pray. And in the midst of this pattern, you see forgiveness as a really big part of it. He, he says this, he says in verse nine, therefore you should pray like this. And he gives us this pattern. It's not a substitute, but it's a pattern. And he begins to teach his followers how to pray. And here's how it starts, and, and you know it. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've said this before a football game, or in some setting, somebody said, hey, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. And he says, here's, here's how you should pattern your prayer. And he starts with this. He says, our Father. And so the, that word Father, is, is this, it's, it's, the word is Abba, and it's the, the word that a Jewish child would call their dad. It's, it'd be like a, just a very intimate, close title, almost like daddy in our, kind of our setting. It's start, start by saying our father, our daddy, Abba. And then he, then he goes on. He says, our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Dad, I, I want your name to be set apart as holy, to be honored he says, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so dad, man, I, I want your name to be honored. I want your name to be set apart. And, and then he says, hey, when you pray, your prayer should not ask for anything that dishonors God or delays his kingdom, or disturbs what he wants to do on earth. You want to pray for his will to be done on earth. And then verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And, and this is just physical needs. Lord, give us what we need today, physically. Supply our need. And then in the very next phrase, he, he begins to talk about forgiveness. And he starts that portion, he says this, and forgive us. So, so the word us is important because you need to know, like, who, who's us? He says, forgive us. So he's talking to, in this context, disciples, people that are followers of him. 
in the larger kind of application, he's talking to people when he says us, it's followers of Jesus. He's not saying forgive us. And this isn't someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. This is someone who's asking God to forgive them who already has a relationship with Jesus, who is already at some point in their life admitted to God that they are a sinner and that they have disobeyed God. And they have at some point in their life, they believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for them. And they have invited God into their life. They've started a relationship with God. He's talking to these. He's saying, forgive us. He's talking to people that are already followers of Jesus. And then the next phrase, forgive us our debts. So is he talking about like, uh, I owe God. I, I lost last night, so I owe him some money. Like what, what, what is he talking about when he talks about debts? Basically what he's talking about, he's talking about spiritual debts or sins. Sin is when we do things our way. So, God, we've done some things our way, and it's hindered our relationship with you. It's hindered that intimacy with you. And so, forgive us our spiritual debts, our sins against you that have stopped our relationship. It hasn't ended, but it's hindered the relationship that I have with you, God. We, every, every one of us, no matter what close relationship you think of, every one of us can understand, and we've experienced this, honestly, probably in every close relationship that we have. And here's what I mean. Whether it's someone in your family, whether it's your best friend, whether it's just somebody that you're super close to and you've been super close to for a long time, there's been moments in that relationship where, man, though you're best friends, one of you has done something that has for a season, for an hour, for a few days, has hindered that relationship. It's hindered intimacy. It's stopped that closeness. For instance, in our house, if I were to go, and, I, and I, I've done this, I've had to apologize for this, but I, if I get angry and impatient and I say something rude to one of my kids, I'm still their dad. They still love me. Our, our, our relationship, it's not over. I'm still their, their father. But for a few minutes, for a few hours, hopefully not for a few days, that intimacy, that closeness is hindered because I've done something wrong to someone. And so what, what, what this forgiveness thing is, is he's saying, okay, God, forgive us, people that are followers of you, our spiritual debts, those things that we've done to hinder our relationship, to hinder our fellowship, to hinder our closeness. We didn't lose our relationship with you, but our closeness has been hindered because of what we have done in that relationship. And then the very next phrase is this, and this is where it kind of pricks. He says this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So God, forgive us our spiritual debts. Forgive us our, the things that we've done to hinder this relationship in the exact same way that we have forgiven people that have done similar things to us. Basically, he's saying, hey, 
God, forgive us for our disobedience when we've lied, when we've, we've, we've had greed, when we've lusted, and it's, it's messed up our fellowship. Forgive us for that, Lord, in the same way that we have forgiven those who have similar debts against us. And then in verse 14, he, he goes in a little, like he, he, he leans in a little bit more. And he says this, and it sounds a little like if you, when you hear what Jesus says, it honestly seems a little controversial. He says this in verse 14, he says, for if you, and again, he's talking to followers of Jesus, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. You're like, hey, Chris, it, I mean, just reading that kind of from like a surface level, it, it kind of seems like Jesus is saying you have to earn forgiveness. Is that what he's saying? Is that true? And the answer is no. Here, here's what Jesus is saying. He, he's saying if you have a relationship with God and if you have received his forgiveness, then you will forgive others. If you do not forgive others, it's evidence that you have not received God's forgiveness yourself. See, Jesus isn't saying that forgiveness is easy or that it happens overnight. What he's saying is if, if you've been forgiven, you will forgive. That's the bottom line of what he's saying. If you have been shown grace, if you have been shown mercy, if you have forgiven, been for, forgiven yourself, if you have a relationship with God and have had access to the forgiveness of your sins, if that has happened to you on the inside, then you will forgive others. And again, it doesn't mean you'll forgive them the second they wrong you or anything like that. He's just saying, a person that lives their life and isn't forgiving and lives with bitterness has not experienced my forgiveness. That's what he's saying. So here's the issue, though. The issue for a lot of us is not only that forgiveness is hard, but that it can also be pretty misunderstood. And here's what I mean. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, like what does he really mean? So, so let's start with what he's not saying. Like when you forgive someone, you're not saying what they did was okay. When, when you forgive someone, you're not saying, you know what? That really that wasn't a big deal. Uh, no, it wasn't wrong. No, that didn't really hurt me. No, you're not saying what they did was okay. You're, you're not saying that what they did didn't hurt. You're not even downplaying the pain and making it better than it really was. You're, you're not doing that. And you're not taking away the natural consequences. When, when you tell someone that, hey, I, I'm going to forgive you, you're not telling them what they did was okay and it doesn't hurt. And, oh, there's consequences. Well, let me make sure all those go away. That's not what you're doing. That's not what forgiveness is. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In some cases, there are big natural consequences for sin and for hurt and being wronged. And saying that you forgive someone isn't wiping those all away. It's just part of life. There's consequences when we make unwise, hurtful decisions. And so that's not what he's saying. But here's what he is saying. 
What he is saying is, though you're guilty, I'm canceling the debt. Though you did hurt me, though what you did wasn't okay, though what you did has brought about some natural consequences, maybe in the relationship that you were in or just in life in general, that though you've done all that and all that's true, I'm canceling the debt. See, at the heart of unforgiveness is this you owe me mindset. This, hey, you, you owe me my childhood because you hurt me. You, you, you blew up my first marriage. You owe me. You, you, there was this great opportunity that I had and you, you took it right out from under me. You owe me. There's this, at the, at the heart of unforgiveness, there's this, and you can just put it in any scenario that you've ever dealt with, there's this something inside of us, and we might not say it exactly that way, but it's this, you owe me, you hurt me, and you owe me something. There's a debt that you owe me. And, and what Jesus is saying is when we forgive, forgiveness says, I am canceling the debt. Not because you're a good person. Not because I'm a good person. I'm just such a good person that I'm going to do this for you. The, the sole reason is simply because God has shown me extravagant grace and forgiven me. And so I'm going to do the same for you. Do you deserve it? No. Did I deserve it? No. But because I was shown extravagant grace, I'm going to show you grace. Our motive for showing grace is the grace that we have been shown. And here's the thing. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're off the hook on this one. I wouldn't usually say that, but he's talking to people that are followers of him. He's talking to people that have made a decision to follow Jesus, who have a relationship with God. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is more optional for you. Yeah, it's probably healthy for you to do it, but it's optional. But, but for those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, this is not optional. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. And for some of us, it means that, man, just real practically speaking, that sometime, maybe even this week, that, man, we, we need to take out a piece of paper, and we need to write down the names of people that have hurt us and what they've done to us that, that is just causing this unforgiveness and is turning into bitterness quickly. And, and we just maybe need to walk through this exercise of, of really listing out some of the ways that we've been hurt emotionally. And then just between you and God saying, God, I'm canceling this debt. It might mean you burn that paper or you rip it up. It doesn't make what they did better. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt me. But for some of us in here, we're living with unforgiveness and bitterness towards people that aren't even alive. And for the people that are alive, most of them, honestly, are never going to pay us back. And, and for in most cases, couldn't. And so when we live with unforgiveness, when we live with 
unforgiveness, it quickly, and, and we all, if, you've, if you've dealt with this, you've, you've seen it happen in your heart, unforgiveness quickly moves into bitterness, and that affects every relationship we're in. Not just the relationship with the person that, that hurt us, but man, it affects every single relationship that we're in because of the bitterness that unforgiveness brings. Dave, Dave Wills, he said it this way. He said, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. Just imagine this. Imagine what your life, your marriage, your relationships, just imagine the stress level you have in your life. What would happen if you just really leaned into what Jesus was saying here, as hard as it is, and I'm not downplaying that it's not extremely hard, and that some of us haven't been hurt deeply by terrible people, evil people that have done evil things. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of that. But, but what would our marriage be like? What would our relationships be like? What would our stress level be like if we stepped into the freedom from the hurt and the bitterness that unforgiveness brings and we stepped into the freedom that Jesus wanted us to have when he forgave us? Just imagine, think about our church. Imagine a church that, that doesn't sweep issues under the rug that doesn't pretend that, that hurt doesn't happen, that doesn't downplay things, but has loving, honest conversations with people when, they've been, when people have been wronged, and then after those hard conversations, forgiveness is given. See, in a lot of settings, and even religious settings, a lot of the hurt, a lot of the, the terrible damage that's been done to people emotionally has been swept under the rug, and it's never talked about. Until there's a Netflix special about it. Or until it's on the front page of a newspaper. What if a church just decided, you know what? Before stuff got crazy, we're just going to be committed to having hard conversations when we've been hurt by someone. We're going to have loving, hard conversations. And we're not going to sweep things under the rug. We're not going to gossip about people. We're going to deal with stuff the way Jesus said to deal with it. And then we're going to forgive. And we're not going to wear shackles of bitterness and unforgiveness that affects everything we do. See, when we talk about forgiveness, for some of you, someone comes to mind immediately. A situation comes to mind immediately. For some of you, it was a situation that happened decades ago. For others of you, it's, it's recent. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. And, and there's this, when I, when I talk about unforgiveness and how it turns into bitterness, like, like you're like, man, are you reading my mail? Because that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now, Chris. So, so would you be willing this week to pray a simple but yet hard prayer? And the prayer is simply this. You see it up on the screen. Thank you for showing me grace and forgiving me when I fail. And for some of us, we might just need to pray that part for a few days because we, we need a couple days before we pray the second part. But we might just need to 
recognize and remember what, what Jesus has done for us, the forgiveness that he's shown us. We might just need to walk through that ourselves and, and, and thank him and be grateful for that. But then the second part of the prayer that's a little more challenging, help me this week to show the same grace and forgiveness to others. Help me because I need help, God. This is not easy. This is something that's, man, it's affecting my life deeply on a lot of levels. It's affecting my relationships with other people. There's, there's bitterness and all kind of stuff that's welling up, and it's the foundation of it is being hurt by someone and not forgiving them. Lord, this is hard. I don't want to deal with it. I want to keep pushing it under the rug. But God, I know that's not what you want. So, so help me to remember the grace, the forgiveness that you've shown me, and then help me to forgive others in the same way. One of the best ways that we can remember and really lean in to the forgiveness that we've been given is by really remembering the sacrifice that Jesus went through so that we could have that freedom. And, and this morning... A tangible way that we're going to help ourselves just be reminded of that is by taking communion. And communion is, is something that, and, and you know, there's, a, there's a, usually a bread cracker that represents Jesus' body. And we, we take that as a, a way to just try to remember and think about what Jesus did and how he went through excruciating pain, how his body was broken. And we, we want to feel that. We want to remember that. And so we, we take the bread, and that reminds us of that. And then we take the juice, and the juice represents his blood that was shed. His blood that was shed on the cross, his blood that was shed through the beatings he went through, not, not because he deserved it, not because he was paying for his own sin, but he went through that for us so that we could be forgiven, so that our sin could be paid for. The, the two requirements that the scripture gives us for taking communion are, are simply two things. The first thing is this, that you have a relationship with God. And so if, if you don't have a relationship with God, you can start one right now. You say, Chris, how would I do that? Maybe you're watching online. It, it's, it's simple, just right where you're at, just between you and God, just from your heart to God, just tell God, God, I admit to you that I've disobeyed you. I've done things my own way. God, I, I, I admit that to you. God, I, I believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, that he did that for me. And then the last thing is you just invite. God, I want to say yes to the relationship. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want a relationship with you. You can do that right where you're at, right in this seat where you're sitting or where you're watching this, just between you and God. If you're ready to start a relationship with God, you, you tell God that. You, you tell God that you know that you've sinned, but you know that Jesus died and rose from the grave for that, and you want a relationship. You say yes. And that's the first thing that, that in the scriptures it says, man, don't take communion if you don't have a relationship with God. But the second thing, kind of requirement, is it says, hey, before you take communion, take a, a, a few minutes and examine yourself. 
And what he means is spiritually. Just take a, a few minutes and just examine, is there right now, God, is there anything between me and you? Is there anything that I've done? Is there spiritual debt? Is there sin? Is there, man, I've done some things my own way, God, and I, I just need to admit those to you, and I just need to get our relationship right. And so what I'm going to do is the, the band's going to come here in a second, and uh, Luke will, will play for a few minutes. I'm going to actually get off the stage here in a second, and I just want to give us, just in the quietness of this room, just some time to personally just examine yourself just between you and God talk to God if there's something between you and God then you can deal with that with God and if you on your way in if you didn't get a chance to pick up a communion then right at the back there's a couple tables so while the band's playing for just a couple minutes and we're just quietly just examining ourselves before God if you didn't get a chance to pick up your communion go ahead and do that and then I'll come back here in about two or three minutes, and we'll take communion together. So just take this time to examine yourself before God. Take the cracker, the little bread. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he was talking about communion and talking about the importance of, of it being a reminder of what Jesus went through. He said this about the bread. He says, on the night when he was betrayed, talking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember Christ's broken body as we eat the bread. In that same passage, Paul, he talks about the, the juice and the kind of the cup that represents the blood that Jesus shed. And he says this in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, In the same way also he, talking about Jesus, took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember the blood that Jesus shed for our sins as we drink the juice. God, we're so thankful for the forgiveness that you've shown us. And God, you went to incredibly just huge lengths. You, you went through so much to send your son to gain forgiveness for us. And Lord, today as we just seek to remember what you've done for us, God, we, we want to just say thank you. We never want to take for granted, Lord, that you carried a cross on your bloody back, a cross that you were so weak because of the beating that, that someone else had to help you. 
and that you voluntarily laid on that cross and allowed Roman soldiers who you loved and who you were dying for to nail you to that cross. And then, Lord, while you were on that cross, people spit at you. They made fun of you. They ridiculed you. And you asked your Father to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. And then, God, you, as you were on that cross, Jesus, you cried out, It is finished. The debt has been paid. Forgiveness has been bought. And you died. And then they took your body off that cross and they put your body in a tomb. And three days passed and then you got up out of that tomb and you're alive today. And you are offering forgiveness. You're offering a relationship, not because of anything we've done, not because of that we've earned it or deserve it, but simply because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And today we want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.